So Genesis uh, chapter 31, verses 22 through 55. Okay. And we'll continue um, talking about Jacob's uh, flight and separation from his uncle Laban. You know, Hebrews 12, 6 says this. It says, For whom the Lord loves, he chastens, and he scourges every son whom he receives. Which isn't the most pleasant of verses, I guess, to start a study with. Um, but I really do think this is exactly the kind of a thing that Jacob was going through in his life. Uh, I think that Jacob was at a place where, as he ends his dealings with his uncle Laban, and he spent decades away from his family, that the Lord is calling him to go back to the land, like it says here in verse 3 of chapter 31. And that during this time, he spent these years with Laban, Jacob's had to learn firsthand what the real consequences are of dealing deceitfully. Um, not just for himself, but because his uncle has been exactly like that to him every step of the way, it seemed. And so he really got had this object lesson for a couple decades here in his life. And he comes out better for it at the other end. And in fact, despite of all of the difficulty in his life, despite his unfaithfulness at times, Jake, uh, Jacob still has God on his in his side. You know, God maintains his commitment to Jacob. He maintains his commitment to the promises that he made to Abraham way back in, in earlier in the book of Genesis. And on account of God's goodness, we see Jacob's transformation here in the book of Genesis. And here... In this chapter and then in the succeeding chapters, we're going to see how Jacob lives in obedience to God's word. And we see a picture of the difficulty that's inherent in separating oneself from uh, worldly figures, from people who really don't have our best interests at heart, from people who, um, well, are, are in love with this world, whether they're family or not. So let's go ahead and read this. Genesis 31, verse 22. It says, and Laban was told on the third day that Jacob had fled. And then he took his brethren with him and pursued him for seven days' journey, and he overtook him in the mountains of Gilead. But God had come to Laban the Syrian in a dream by night. And he said to him, Be careful that you speak to Jacob neither good nor bad. So Laban overtook Jacob. Now, uh, now Jacob had pitched his tent in the mountains, and Laban with his brethren pitched in the mountains of Gilead. And Laban said to Jacob, well, what have you done that you've stolen away unknown to me and carried away my daughters like captives taken with the sword? Why did you flee away secretly and steal away from me and not tell me? For I might have sent you away with joy and songs, with timbrel and harp. And you did not allow me to kiss my sons and my daughters. Now you've done foolishly in so doing. It is in my power to do you harm. But the God of your father spoke to me last night, saying, Be careful that you speak to Jacob, uh, neither good nor bad. And now you've surely gone because you greatly long for your father's house. But why did you steal my gods? Then Jacob answered and said to Laban, Because I was afraid. For I said, Perhaps you would take your daughters from me by force. With whomever you find your gods, do not let him live. In the presence of our brethren, identify what I have of yours and take it with you. For Jacob did not know that Rachel had stolen them. And Laban went into Jacob's tent, into Leah's tent, and into the two maids' tents. But he did not find them. Then he went out of Leah's tent and entered Rachel's tent. Now, Rachel had taken the household idols, put them in the camel's saddle, and sat on them. 
And Laban searched all about the tent, but did not find them. And she said to her father, Let it not displease my lord that I cannot rise before you, for the man of women is with me. And he searched, but he did not find the household idols. Then Jacob was angry and rebuked Laban. And Jacob answered and said to Laban, What is my trespass? What is my sin that you've so hotly pursued me? Although you've searched all my things, what part of your household things have you found? Set it here before my brethren and your brethren that they may judge between us both. These twenty years I have been with you, your ewes and your female goats have not miscarried their young, and I have not eaten the rams of your flock. That which was torn by beasts I did not bring back, I did not bring to you. I bore the loss of it. You required it from my hand, whether stolen by day or stolen by night. And there I was, in the day the drought consumed me, and the frost by night, and the sleep departed from my eyes. And thus I have been in your house twenty years. I served you fourteen years for your two daughters, and six years for your flock, and you've changed my wages ten times. Unless the God of my father, the God of Abraham, and the fear of Isaac had been with me, surely now you would have sent me away empty-handed." God has seen my affliction and the labor of my hands and rebuked you last night. And Laban answered and said to Jacob, Well, these daughters are my daughters, and these children are my children, and this flock is my flock. All that you see is mine. But what can I do to this, what can I do this day to these my daughters or to their children whom they have borne? Now therefore, come, let us make a covenant, you and I, and let it be a witness between you and me. So Jacob took a stone and set it up as a pillar. Then Jacob said to his brethren, Gather stones. And they took stones and made a heap, and they ate there on the heap. Laban called it Jigar Sawaduath. That's a tough one, right? But Jacob called it Galid. And Laban said, This heap is a witness between you and me this day. Therefore, its name was called Galid, also Mizpah, because he said, May the Lord watch between you and me when we are absent from one another. If you afflict my daughters, or if you take their wives besides my daughters, although no man is with us, see, God is witness between you and me. So then Laban sent to Jacob, here's this heap, and here's this pillar which I have placed between you and me. This heap is a witness, and this pillar is a witness, that I will not pass beyond this heap to you, and you will not pass beyond this heap and this pillar to me for harm. The God of Abraham, the God of Nahor, the God of the Father, uh, judge of uh, their father's judge between us. And Jacob swore by the fear of his father Isaac. So then Jacob offered a sacrifice on the mountain, and he called his brethren to eat bread. And they ate bread and stayed all night on the mountain. And early in the morning Laban rose and kissed his sons and daughters, and he blessed them. And then Laban departed and returned to his place. All right, so in the first couple of verses, in verses 22 through 24, we're going to look at how, how God restrains Laban. Okay, go ahead and look at the situation here in verse 22. So Laban, it tells us that he went to uh, pursue Jacob after hearing about it three days later. So if you remember from earlier in, here in this chapter, um, Laban was out shearing sheep. And so he was out there for a while. It's not an, an easy task. It takes some time. And so it took some time before he actually even heard of it. That's why it's three days later that he hears about it. And then he had to kind of mobilize because we know he took a bunch of men with him as he went to go chase his son-in-law uh, as, he, as he had left. Now, all of this to say one simple fact that he didn't want Jacob to leave. This was not, he did not acquiesce to this. And so he, when he takes all these men, it's not to say, hey, I'll see you later. 
I mean, he's taking these men with him because he means business. He at least wants to gain some of his possessions, and we use that term loosely, right, uh, back. And at the very worst, you know, he's going there to go ahead and, and kill Jacob. I mean, he takes all these men, it takes him seven days to catch up. And so we figure he had, he had a, a healthy number of guys with him. In fact, this whole episode here of him chasing after his, his own son-in-law, it really reminds me of Pharaoh when the Hebrews left Egypt and, and they take off. And they're like, yeah, go. And they're like, never mind, don't go. And then they just book it after him with, with an army behind him. And this is the exact same kind of uh, behavior. And, and truly, it, this encapsulates Laban's feelings toward Jacob. He didn't, it wasn't the warm fuzzies. Okay, it wasn't, hey, you know, we're buds, let's hang out. It, w- it was never like that. I don't think that Laban ever saw Jacob as anything more than a hired hand. I think he was just uh, somebody he employed who happened to have married his daughters. That was just part of the deal, right? It, it, Jacob was, a, was like a con- commodity for Laban. And this is kind of a harsh way to talk about another human being, much less your family. But the reality is that there's people like this all over the place, the reality is that some of us deal with people like this all the time in, in our workplace, where people are commodities, you know, people are just just things. You know, we see people like this in our daily lives that they really act just like Laban, where they they use other people, they use them for their own profit. You know, whether it's personal gain or monetary gain or some other type of gain, but people are just there to be used. And I think this is this is very much where Laban is coming from, where Jacob you know, had benefited him and how, how, how could he let his good luck charm get away from him? I mean, ever since Jacob had been there, things had only gotten really, really great. And so why would he let him go? Of course, he doesn't do what any good businessman would do, right? You go chase him down and offer him more money. You know, instead he goes down there and he starts, starts yelling at him here. And so it says he gets there, um, at Mount Gilead, which is where Jacob had, had, uh, had intended to get to. And so you got to figure this is about a, a space of 300 miles, okay, that Laban was covering. So it's quite a ways. You figure here in Sacramento, more or less, um, on horseback or camelback. I don't know what they're what they're riding on. I couldn't tell you. But they get there. But notice the Lord's role in all of this. As Laban intends evil to Jacob, the Lord appears in the scene and says that the Lord visited him at night in a dream, and He warned him that he should neither speak good uh, nor bad to Jacob. And this is exactly what the Lord does. You know, he warns Laban about Jacob and he says, you know, you you need to make sure that you are so kind of Jacob that you don't even speak roughly to him. And it's it's quite a statement that God makes here because we see him restraining Laban's hand. We see him standing up for for Jacob who belongs to him. You know, J- Jacob is, is getting uh, is gained the benefit of God standing up to his own enemy for him. You know, this is reminiscent of when God speaks to Abimelech in the dream in Genesis 20, right? He says, hey, you better watch it. You know, you do something with that woman, you're going to be in trouble. She's married. He's like, whoa. And it's so wild to think about this, you know, that God is talking to these men who really, for all intents and purposes, these men had no dealings with God. I mean, Laban... We'll talk about this later, but he, he knew stuff about God, but uh, it didn't really do much for him. Yeah. And Abimelech, it didn't knew even less. But that God is a kind of a God that steps into the affairs of people 
and he works on, on his people's behalves in whatever way that he can. You know, the, the God that we serve, it says in Job 5, 12, and 13, frustrates the devices of the crafty so that their hands cannot carry out their plans. He catches the wise in their own craftiness, and the counsel of the cunning comes quickly upon them. You know, he steps in there, and those people who think they're so smart, they think they know so much, all of a sudden, they get smacked upside the head, and they realize, whoa, there's something bigger than me. And they never stop to consider those kinds of things, do they? And it's pretty neat because, you know, God guards us, and really, it has nothing to do with us. It has everything to do with him. It's all about, this is what he does for his people because that's who he is. He takes care of us. He watches out for us. He teaches us. He, he brings us up because he's good, because he loves us, because he's going to pursue us. You know, so long as there's a chance, he's going to pursue us. And it's such a special privilege we have as believers that we get to have him on our side, or rather, we get to be on his side, right? And, and that, that's a really awesome thing because Jacob's really been dumb. Jacob's not been a good guy. It's not until now that he's finally getting it. He's, he's, you know, well into adulthood, yeah? You know, he's into middle age here, and he's finally getting it. He's starting to get it, we're going to see here, in verses 31, chapters 31 and 32. But notice secondly here, in verses 25 to 30, we see that Laban rebukes Jacob when he gets there. So Laban doesn't, isn't quite so kind. Um, as he gets there, he spends the night. Then he goes and meets Jacob up there in the mountains. And it says that the first thing he does is he accuses Jacob of being a thief. So not like, good morning, how you doing? He gets there. He says, hey, he says, what have you done? You've stolen away, unknown to me. You've carried away my daughters like captives, you know, taking them with the sword. He said, what are you doing? You're taking away what belongs to me. You've stolen away. You've taken these women. And none of that's yours. And so he, he's saying, why, why leave? Why leave at night if, uh, if you have nothing to fear? He says, those are the actions of a thief, he says. And he really attempts to make Jacob out as the person who's a transgressor. He's the one who's in the wrong, according to Laban, right? Which is, of course, perfect for, for Laban. And Laban, you know, he, he's playing a big game. Laban is pretending that he doesn't really understand why Jacob would leave him. And leave in the middle of the night. Laban understands completely. He really does. Nobody is as crafty as that guy without knowing why somebody would take off from them. Uh, he just uh, he just likes to play the part, and he's hoping that he can get get a, a little bit more out of him as a result of this. I got to think, because those kinds of people they never give up. And so he says, "Hey, he says, why leave? Uh, you, you know, I, I haven't." And he doesn't even mention, he's, like, he's not like, I have been good to you. No, he doesn't ever say that. That would be an out-and-out lie. But he just pretends, you know, why would you leave? You know, he ignores the fact that he's lied to him, you know, slipped in the, uh, the other girl, <laughs> you know, and then made him wait for the other one, then changed his, his wages, it tells us later on. He's done all this stuff, and it's just a pattern of behavior with him. And so he's, it's really an insult to Jacob beyond calling him a thief. It's an insult to his intelligence. And so Laban even looks at him, and he doesn't mind saying that you've taken my things, you've taken my daughters from me. It's the same nothing to the fact that they're Jacob's wives. I mean, he, he still thinks that it's his, and he doesn't have any problem with it. And the issue is a matter of perspective here. Because the reality is that when somebody is given over to God, when somebody is saved and walking, 
we aren't, we, we see things the way that we should. Because we know that people who aren't Christians, they, uh, they don't really see a reality. Either because they can't, one, they're blinded, or two, they don't want to. Okay. And that's the problem that Laban has here. Is that he either, I, I gotta think he doesn't want to see reality. And he wouldn't, he doesn't care to even deal in those terms. And all of us, you know, our behavior is supposed to be as far away from that as it could possibly be. Because God shed a light for all of us. We, we see things the way that they really are. And so why would we run from that? Why would we hide from that? When we look at and, and we see the things that are wrong in our lives, we don't turn away and say, oh, no, never mind. That's for another day. No, we deal with it. We, we face it. We're not like it says in James when we look at ourselves in the mirror, then we forget about it. And God forbid that's the way that we act. God forbid that's the way that we live. And this is where Laban's at, I believe. Laban, he continues to lie, and he talks about um, himself in these very generous and good terms, notice. He says, hey, you know, why did you leave? He says, hey, I, I might have thrown a party for you, right, before you left. We had joy and songs and timbrels and harp. We would have had a good time before you left, man. A going away party. And that's not at all what he would have done. But this is what he's saying. Is we would have had a good time. He says, you didn't even let me um, kiss my daughter's farewell or, or my grandchildren. You know, he's pulling all of the heartstrings, isn't he? He's like, well, then there's this and then there's that. And, and you know, well, how could you do this to me? <laughs> I mean, it's just as disingenuous as he can possibly be. And we'll see later on. In fact, he, he has very little love um, for his family. At least that's apparent to us in the scripture. And he's just attempting to paint himself as this generous man who, who really cares about Jacob going out and doing what he should do. Because we know Jacob isn't just leaving just because. Jacob's leaving on account of obedience because in verse 3, God told him, hey, return to the land of your fathers and to your family. He says, and I will be with you. He says, get out of there. Your time there is done. Come on back. Be with your family. Be in the land that's supposed to be yours. And then you'll see what I'm going to do for you. As if he hasn't seen what God has done for the entire rest of the time that he's been out there, right? But God promises him even more. In fact, Laban even continues to go so far as to say that, hey, you've been, you've been a fool in verse 28 here. He says, how can you do this? You, you've been, it's stupid. It's very paternalistic, this whole thing, right? I mean, this is very much, I know and you don't know what the heck is wrong with you. And he condemns all of Jacob's behavior as if he is a, uh, th this morally upright man. And it's always amazing how people who are very loose morals get very indignant when they feel like they've been wronged. You know, I was dealing with somebody at work a while back who was so indignant. <laughs> they feel like they've been wronged. And they were the ones who had done everything wrong to everybody else and never failed. And people look at each other like, what? Is this like real? Is this person serious? And you like look in their eyes to see, uh, are, are they just messing around? Do they know that they're lying? And I'm looking in his eyes and I said, this guy really believes what he's saying. This guy's crazy. How, how could he think that? It, it makes no sense here, but su such is the world. Laban says, and he changes his tune here, verse 29. So he stops being like good old Uncle Laban. Hey, where'd you go? We could have had a good time. I could have said goodbye to my family, all this stuff. He says, hey, he says, no, I, I could do you harm, he says in verse 29. I can hurt you. What? So he figures this didn't work. Now let, let, me, let me be the heavy in here. You know, 
They try to intimidate him. He says, I could hurt you. He says, but I didn't. I'm not going to. Just because God stepped in, I'm not going to. <laughs> okay, man. Um, whatever, whatever makes it work for you. I mean, he, he's boastful of his ability to, to injure him, really. And says, well, you know, uh, God says no, so I guess I'm going to listen to God here. And th- this guy is so full of himself. I mean, God rattled his cage, and even, even that didn't do too much to him. It just kind of diverted him just enough, right? This guy thinks himself to be something. He, he is boastful of himself in the, in the face of the Almighty, and that's a scary thing. It's a scary thing. You know, this world, um, this world likes to view itself in this way, yes? People like to think about this world. If it weren't for this, you know, I would really... Guys do this kind of stuff all the time in all kinds of different ways. They won't say it like that. Varying levels of sophistication depending on the strata of people you're, you're dealing with. But they all behave just like this. Okay? It's all of these power plays. You know, how do we handle these kinds of people in our lives? What, what do we do with them? I think even when we, looked at a guy, when we look at a guy who's as flawed as Jacob, we see that he was patient. We see that he was faithful. We see that he sought God eventually and that's what we need to do in these situations where we are patient where we continue to be faithful in the things that the lord's entrusted us with where we're seeking his input continually and then that we're obedient to the things that we know to do of course thank god that god intervened on jacob's behalf here i mean even laban can't help but admit it and of course it's he's trying to use it as some kind of thing where you know i've done i I listen to god you know, just like you do. <laughs> but it's not the same kind of thing. And it's a wild thing because when we stop to think about how God speaks to to men, evil men like Laban in this world, God really does. God intervenes in the things that are happening all around this world. And he, he speaks to people, whether it's dreams. He directs the hearts of men, it tells us in Scripture. Which is, which is a neat thing and a comfort to think about. As believers, because we know that since God acts in this way, we don't have to flip out when things are going crazy. You know, when people are strapping bombs on themselves and blowing themselves up in in the randomness of places, we don't have to be afraid. We don't wig out. You know, none of us were the people who showed up at church all of a sudden, right, when when 9-11 happened. we, We were already here because we know where it's at. And that's a perspective we have to continue to keep as believers, where we don't get dissuaded because of the events in this world around us, whether it's something that's geopolitical or whether it's something that's just personal between you and another man or, or woman. It, it, is, it is all the same response as believers because it's the same God that handles these things, it's the same God that balances the, the needs of an individual like each and every one of us here and the needs of entire nations of the entire world. How does he do all that? I have no idea, but I know it happens. I know he makes it all work. And it flips me out to think about that. But he makes it happen. You know, I have a hard time managing just a few things I'm responsible for. And the Lord just takes care of all of that for us. Hmm. So we understand that, that all authority, truly it comes from, from above. And so then we rely on that. And, and we rest in that. And, and we... We come under the shadow of his wings, like it says in the book of Psalms. It says that Laban said that Jacob left 
because uh, he wanted to be with his own family. So he tells him, well, you know, I know that you want to leave. And uh, he, he's not saying it's a compliment. You know, this is kind of a, a little bit of a jab. It, call him a bit weak in so many words, you know. And so another bit of an insult there that Laban throws in. But Laban finally tips his hand as to himself in his own desire. So why did he really show up? He shows up because his gods were gone, it tells us. He says, and now you've surely gone because you, you, you greatly long for your fathers. But, but why did you steal my gods? <laughs> it just throws that in there at the end. It's, it really is kind of a non sequitur. I mean, he says all this other stuff, my family is stuff and all this. And then like, but my little idols, you took them. You see, he didn't care for his daughters. He didn't even care so much about the stuff, although he kind of cared about the stuff, but he cared about those stinking little carved images. It's revealing as to where his heart's at, that he, he only respects what God has to say in so much as it scares him, in so much as he's seen God do good things for Jacob, but it doesn't really alter the man. He still has these things that he follows, these things that are important to him, these little gods, so to speak, and in reality, little gods, right? These statuettes. You know, it's amazing how people can, non-Christians, can see God work in the lives of people around them. They can see how God works even in their own lives sometimes, and yet it doesn't change them. They, they don't turn from the way that they're living. They don't turn from the things that they serve, the things that they think are important in their lives. You know, God help us that we would be those kinds of people. Because the reality is, that but for the grace of God, we'd be right there. How many times do we willfully ignore the things that God is doing, the things that God is t- are telling us? You know, if we're doing that, you know, people have the Holy Spirit living inside of them. How much more the world? Yet this is exactly where Laban's at. Exactly the kind of a, a lifestyle that he leads. One where the, the acts of God is just something that, that shakes him up. Some, something that scares him. But nothing that changes him. It reminds me of what Paul talks about when he talks about sorrowing for our sins. And, and he says, you know, there's a sorrow that leads to repentance, right? And there's a sorrow that leads to death. And that we have to have that sorrow that leads to repentance, and not just that we're sorry because we've done wrong or because we've gotten caught or because we're afraid God's going to get us with a, with a cosmic hammer and smash us down. And that, that's, not, that's not how we serve God. That's not how we interact with people. I mean, if we consider our roles as fathers, we don't want our kids to, to have that kind of a relationship with us. We want our kids to have that relationship where there's an interaction, there's a give and take, there, there's instruction, you know, there's a real relationship, not just the castigation that exists, the fear, you know, the beatdown that waits them when they get home because they've done something wrong, although there's a place for that, I suppose, huh? And so then we have to be careful lest, lest our hearts grow hard and our hearts grow dull as believers, and we end up in the same place as Laban. But notice here in verse 31 through 35, we see the contrast from Laban is Jacob, how Jacob has lived blameless before Laban. Notice first that that Jacob is very clear in that he did not trust Laban. That's why he left. He says, he answered and said to him, because I was afraid for I said, perhaps you would take your daughters from me by force. He says, I know who you are. I know exactly who you are. You're a violent man. You would have injured me. You would have killed me if, if necessary to take back what you thought was yours. You would have resorted to violence. And so he says, that's, that's why I left. 
That's why I left. And if you remember back in verse 2, it tells us that uh, when he looked at, at Laban, that his countenance was not favorable toward Jacob. And so we know that he saw the, he saw the warning signs. He's like, I can't stick around here anymore. I, I need to get the heck out of here. So he no longer trusts his father. Well, I don't know if he trusts his father-in-law really, but now it, can't, it was at the point of no return. He couldn't stick around anymore. He had to leave. You know, as believers, we, we can't be blind to what people do. Look, we love people, right? Um, we, we are merciful and gracious as God's been merciful and gracious to us. But when someone intends harm, we get the heck out of there. We need to be shrewd. We need to be wise. We need to understand uh, the world that we live in. We don't just sit there and let things happen. And it doesn't matter even if it's family. If there comes a point in a, fam- in a familial relationship where things are going sour, where the person only intends bad things are, are not just not productive, but they're adversarial, at that point we have to cut things off. We have to say, that's it. It's done. And we get away from that because nothing's going to happen. And, so, and then, of course, we know we pray. And that is an effective thing. That it, it, Prayer is not doing nothing. Prayer is doing everything. Prayer is it. You know, your actions with someone, really, unless they're bathed in prayer, I mean, who cares? Because the likelihood of you doing what you should be doing is significantly decreased. And so then, Jacob saw this, and then it's no coincidence that he understands what's going on. And then the very next verse in 31.3, the Lord speaks to him and says, you need to get out. And so Jacob is obedient to that call. He's obedient to that word from God. In the same way that we need to be obedient to the Lord's call above all other calls. Even if it's at the expense of another person. And that's why he has that whole conversation that we saw in the first half of the chapter with his wife saying, we got to go. And they're like, well, you know, we got nothing else. Let's go. <laughs> and we're going we're gonna, to, whatever you go, we'll go. And we'll see how it, how it happens. But notice secondly here in this section that Jacob um, relied on his righteousness and rightfully so. And he, he recounts um, how he'd acted. Okay? He, he's, uh, Jacob um, responds to the accusation of stealing his gods. He says, well, you know, says if, uh, if anybody stole a god, uh, you find them, you go ahead and uh, you kill them. Because I, I, I'm pretty sure that I haven't taken anything. I'd be surprised if anybody else did. And you see, Jacob knows his behavior, which is why he's saying this. He knows what he's done. And he knows that he can stand on his works. And that's a rare place for people to be, to be quite frank with you, right? It's a rare person who has lived in such a way or, or behaved in such a way with others where they can rely on, the, on that integrity is what we really call it, right? The integrity of their actions. And this is where he's at here. He says, I, I haven't done any of those things. He said, go ahead, look. Look through everything. And of course, we know here that it tells us that he didn't know what his wife had done, that she had taken stuff. And, uh, you know, Rachel made sure that he didn't get in trouble for it. But uh, the Lord, I think, was also watching out for Jacob as well. You know, and so Rachel had taken this, and, and we don't really know why, by the way, she took it. There's a lot of different ideas, and it's all conjecture, really, but we don't really know why she took it. We don't know if she was going to go worship with them. Some people think it was some kind of inheritance thing, like, oh, well, if I take in this, it's like taking my inheritance, blah, 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 blah. I don't really know. Um, I don't think any of the commentators know. I think they just kind of make some stuff up. Every once in a while. 
or they try to connect it with something very loosely, and that's what they uh, construe as, as the explanation. But it's not as important in the passage because Laban goes in and uh, he, he searches. He ends up playing, playing himself for a fool here in front of everybody. And not just in front of Jacob, but really even his own daughter gets in on the act. It says here that Laban goes in and he starts searching through every single person's tent here in verse 33. He goes through Leah's tent. He goes through Rachel's tent. He goes through Jacob. Everybody's tent. He finds absolutely nothing, it tells us. It was a fruitless expedition. He ransacked the place. And everybody was exonerated. Except for Rachel, right? It tells us that Rachel went and hid in the idols in the camel's saddle and she sat on them and figured, okay... I know what to do to save my life. And so once he asks her, hey, where's it at? Hey, can, I, can I look in there? She says, oh, I can't move. You know, it's that time of the month. And then he's like, all right, stay there. <laughs> I'm not touching it, anything. And um, so they, they end up getting away with it. His own daughter deceiving him. It's, it's, a, it's a delicious irony here, isn't it? I mean, th- this guy who's been so deceptive, you know, he's, what has he taught his daughter? You know, it comes right back around to him. And so uh, this type of, uh, it seems to me this is a, a, a little bit of a, a, a judgment, so to speak. I mean, there's just too much irony there to, to ignore. And so then he goes through it and he looks like a fool in front of everybody as he goes tearing the place apart. There's nothing worse than when you think you know the answer to something then you really don't. You think you know what really happened. It's like when you're, you're looking for something in the house and you tell your wife, where is it? She's like, I don't know. Where do you always put it? And you go looking around and, and you're like, it's none of the places I, I, I look for. She's like, well, what about in there? And sure enough, you go looking in there and it's there. And you look there first and you feel stupid. And sometimes you even go to the point where like you make up some kind of a, a stupid lie. You're just like, well, you know, it wasn't there earlier. You know, whatever it is that we come up with. Some of you guys get pretty creative with these kinds of things. But it's silliness. And this is, this is, Laban had egg on his face here. And so Jacob, you know, his reaction is one of anger. And he, get, he steps forward in verse 36 and he rebukes his father-in-law quite severely. It says he responds in, in anger at Laban because, because of the accusations hurled against him. And of course, this, this is really a buildup from all of the years that, they, that he's been dealing with Laban. This isn't just a one-time thing where I'm mad and, you know, I, I got to take it out on you. And the, the Hebrew word here for anger is quite a, a vivid one, really talking about the burning and the outpouring of it. You know, it's this, this fervent, fervent anger. And so he rebukes him and he, he tells him, he says, what have I really done? What sin or trespass, you know, that you've done this? You've pursued me like a criminal. See, I didn't deserve to be treated this way by you, by anybody. Because he knew that he had behaved righteously. And you know, we, we do get like this sometimes, right? Where we know we've done right. And we get angry. And we, we respond in that way. Um, you know, I'm not going to sit here and, and say that Jacob was completely wrong. I think Laban probably needed to get a little bit of an earful at this point. But we know we're, we're, when we cross that line, yes. Where it's something that's a righteous anger and just like our regular anger that burns inside of all of us and so he went and he said you know i haven't done anything wrong and he even points out that laban has searched everything and found nothing and then he turns to everybody else he says hey you guys judge between us he says you see who's right here 
We'll lay everything out here in front, and then they'll judge things. Because Jacob knew, he says, I have nothing to hide. Right? I, I don't have anything to fear with regards to justice. And that, that's something that I feel like I'm solid on. So that despite Rachel's disobedience, you know, he was able to rely on his own righteousness. And what a testament to all of us. That we would deal that way with, with not just one person, but with all people. How often are we really in that position that we know that we've done well? First Peter 2.12, it tells us, So then have your conduct honorable among the Gentiles, that when they speak against you as evildoers, they may, by your good works which they observe, glorify God in the day of visitation. Is that what people do when they encounter us? That they understand that, that we're, we're living right in this world on account of God. That it will bring glory to him. And that, that's a high standard, man. That, that's a really high standard. That's tough. I wonder how much that's true in my life. And I got to say, I'm like, man, it's, it's not really that much true. Maybe sometimes. And in church, it's easy, yeah, because we're like all Christians and it's church stuff. And, but he says the Gentiles, when you're out there in the world, do they see that? Do they respond in that way? Now, Jacob had a chance to point this out to, to his uncle here, but um, if only people would see that without us pointing it out to them, huh? If the Lord would be that present and that evident in our lives. Those are the kinds of lives we're called to lead. Jacob's manner toward Laban here, then, as he recounts his history with Laban, is one of faithfulness. Okay, As he tells me, he says, 20 years I've been with you. He says, your, all of your animals have, have increased. I've never taken anything from you. And he says, I've given you 20 years of my life. And that's nothing to, to just ignore. That's, 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 a, that's a long time. It's a third of his life for some of us, you know. He says, and you, all you've done is, Laban, is you've manipulated me. You've used me. You know, because I had to serve this long for this, this woman and this long for the other one. And that's all I've got in return. And you, Laban, he says, you've benefited. He says, your flocks have increased. I've taken care of them. He says, how can you, how can you be angry at me for leaving? He even tells him how he's dealt with integrity in so much as he hasn't taken anything from Laban. He says, I haven't eaten from your flocks, he says. He says, when an animal was, was killed, he says, I didn't come and I didn't bring it to say here. You know, the, this animal was killed. He says, I bore the loss. He says, it came out of my pocket when something messed up, even though I could have asked for it. He says, and, and I had to live in difficulty. He says, he was out there in the elements you know, in the day the drought consumed him, it was frost by night. He, he wasn't able to get any rest. He says, I, I never took, I never asked, I never complained. I bore difficulty for you. He says, what more would you want from me? He says, this has been my life. He says, what do you have to say about this? You know, Jacob truly, when we look at his life, he's a different man than he was uh, 20 years before, huh? I mean, 20 years before, he was stealing things from his older brother. And now, he's a man that's lived faithfully to someone who's tried to steal from him over and over again. And we've even seen how Laban has attempted to steal and then been unsuccessful with it. You know, so, well, well, you know, you take these ones and I'll take these. Well, no, no, you just switch it up. And either way, you know, uh, Jacob still benefited. And it was because of the Lord. It was because of God looking out for Jacob. You know, it's, it's a blessing to see that Jacob's finally learned. And it's really because of those difficulties. 
that he's learned. Now, that's not to say that that's the best way to learn. Not at all. We know that it is a way to learn, and that if we do uh, encounter difficulties as a result of our sinfulness or what have you, that we would truly learn from it and not go back and repeat those errors in our lives. But do we truly learn from the mistakes that we make? Or do we just repeat them over and over again? You see, if, if we keep doing, making the same mistakes over and over again, it's, it's become a pattern now. It's, it's a way of living, a way of doing things. There has to be that change in a believer's life. There has to be that progression, that growth. Yeah, It's like if you went to the gym all the time and then nothing ever changed. You have to ask yourself, what am I doing here? Either I got to do some different exercises or I need a new trainer or whatever it is. Something's got to change because, you know, your wife looks at you and says, what have you been doing over there for the past two months? <laughs> you, you look the same. Uh, that, God forbid that's our lives in Christ. We, we need to learn from our mistakes here the same way that, that I think Jacob's learning from them. He even tells Laban, he says, Laban, you, and you've never been trustworthy. You know, you've never been truthful to me. He says, these 20 years I've worked for you. He says, and you've done everything to take away from me. He says, you, I, 14 years for the two women. Six years for fly. You changed my wages 10 different times. He tells him in verse 41. 10 times he changed his wages. I would have split after the first time. And he stuck around. You know, Laban was a swindler. And Jacob knows that, and now he, he's telling him. He says, this is what you are. And he's not telling him with the smack of the lips. He's not telling him to, really, to needle him, but he's telling him to let him know, look, this is what you've done. He says, and this is what I've done. He says, there's a difference here. There's a difference between being a believer and not being a believer here. Jacob, uh, Jacob submitted to injustice for all this amount of time until God told him, told him not to. Which is quite a lesson for all of us. That when people do wrong us, what do we do? How do we handle it? We bear it with patience as believers. We understand that sometimes the Lord calls us to go ahead and take it. You know, earlier in this chapter, in verses 6 and 7, it says this. He said, and he's talking to his, uh, to his wives. He says, And you know that with all my might I have served your father. Yet your father has deceived me and changed my wages ten times. He says, but God did not allow him to hurt me. And you see, Jacob's seen why it all happened. So that he can see the hand of God in his life. So that God can show himself strong in the, in the middle of all the difficulties. And, he, and that's a blessing for him. And now that God says, get out of there, he says, all right, God, let's go. We're not going to stick around for, the, for whatever else is going to follow. And Jacob acknowledges God here openly to to his father-in-law, verse 42, he says, that were not for God being there, you would have sent me away empty-handed. You would have taken everything from me. He says, so it's God. God's the reason why I have stud Laban. He says, it's not you. It's not that you've been generous. You've, you've tried to stack the cards against me every single time. You've saved me from, God has saved me from your hand, he tells him. He says, I want you to know that. I want you to understand that. You know, we, we get to be on the winning side. We get to be on the winning side. And that, that's, that's the best thing. And you guys that are competitive, winning's nice. Winning's a great thing. You know, where's Don Thomas here? 
Hope UCLA loses this week. Where's he at? He'll listen to this later. We'll talk to him later. <laughs> you know, I don't like to lose. It's awful. And to know that in the end, we're going to have the greatest victory. And it's going to be a victory that doesn't end. And it's a victory we do nothing for. It's just there for us. It says, here, take it. Grab it. It's yours. And that's it. It's a gift. And, and Jacob, you know, he did nothing to earn any of the stuff that he's gotten. And yet the Lord's blessed him. And the Lord has been um, gracious to Jacob. It's all because he was on the right side. Jacob even surmised that that God had, had seen his difficulty and, and the work and that he rebuked Laban on account of that, saying that God corrected you because of me, because God had mercy on me. You know, he says, God loves me. He says, and I know that. And he knows that Laban was the one who, who needed to be rebuked, not the other way around, not when Laban came to him and started hurling accusations at him. And it's neat because we serve this God who, uh, you know, our God loves the underdog, huh? Our God is a God that takes mercy and kindness, you know, to the oppressed, where he watches out for them and he takes care of them. And that's each and every one of us, right? The Lord strengthens the weak. And that, that's every one of us. We, we get blessed on account of his graciousness. And so then the logical thing is that as we understand this, this important truth, is that we're moved to be even more devoted. We're moved to praise him continually. Psalm 31.7 says, I will be glad and rejoice in your mercy. He says, for you've considered my trouble. And you've known my soul in adversities. So Lord, you've taken care of me. You've understood me. You've taken, uh, you've watched me in, in all of these things. He says, I, I have to be glad. I have to rejoice. And joy is not a, a, a something that just comes and passes. We understand that it stays. We understand that it's a source of strength for us as believers. Because we have rest in him. Because we, we, we know who he is. You know, uh, the other night we were going over... For Samuel with the with the high school kids and uh, and it's neat when you see at the very beginning there when Hannah goes and and she finally submits to God and the Lord takes care of her uh, of her needs because she submitted to Him and gives her Samuel and so when you look at her prayer there in chapter two it's cool because you see that her prayer is not even so much that hey I got I got a son but it's just a prayer about God you're awesome. God, you're good. And it's all about her understanding the character of God because of how he's dealt with her. And that's what we are continually learning in our dealings with the Lord. We're learning more and more about his character. We learn more and more about how he deals with us. And we know we've heard it before. He's told us, but we kind of forget. We kind of file it away and, you know, we, we ignore it. And then the Lord reminds us, no, this way. This is the way I deal with this. And you're like, oh, okay, all right. And, and we pick it up, and now we, we, we own that. Hmm. If, only, if only that was a consistent thing in our lives here. But we know here in the last part of the chapter um, that the result of all of this is that they have to be separated here. Look in verse 43. Um, Laban's perspective, despite all of what Jacob had shared with him, is unchanged. All he says is, well, these daughters are my daughters and these children are my children. This flock is my flock and all that you see is mine. Xavier would have said it sounds like Daffy Duck, right? And he really does. So it's mine. It's mine. This, all this is mine. Like, okay, <laughs> you didn't hear what I said. 
Everything's his, he says. He hasn't changed at all. Despite everything that Jacob said, despite God visiting him and telling him, you, be, you watch yourself in the way that you deal with, with my kid here. And this is often the case with men like Laban. They are unchanged. They look at the truth and they walk away and, and it, it means nothing to them. Because they don't want it to mean anything ultimately. Because their heart is somewhere else. And we know that's the case with Laban. Laban, it, rather than seek any kind of reconciliation, he's like, well, you know, let's, uh, let, let's go our separate ways. Let's make a covenant. And it's not a covenant word that binds them together as buddies. It, it's an agreement that they're going to separate and stay away from each other. That's the essence of this agreement that they have here. Because the reality is that Laban now, he's saying, well, I don't trust you, Jacob. And Jacob's like, well, I, I just told you I don't trust you. So the feeling is mutual. And Laban wanted to have this, this thing out here. And so Jacob agrees. And it says that Jacob had his men set up a pillar uh, in order to remember this and to witness this co- be a witness to the covenant that they're entering into in verse 45. You know, he says, it tells them to get the stones together and they build everything in verses 45 and 46 here. He says, and then they even shared a meal in order to, to seal that. It was uh, the... the Glue that makes it stick together, if you will. He says they went and they um, set up these two things, this pillar and this heap, and they called it basically what translates to a witness heap, which is what the two words, um, uh, Jager Sahadutha, there you go, and Galid, which is um, Laban's version is Aramaic and Jacob's is Hebrew here. And so this is right here, Mount Gilead or what would later be known as Mount Gilead. And so Laban talks to him about the, about the heap here in verse 40, 48. And he says that the heap is a witness between the two of them so that he was going to stand there and it would uh, mark this here covenant. And then he even brings the Lord into things. And he declares, well, you know, um, the Lord watched between us you know, and uh, when we're absent from each other. It's not quite as nice as it sounds when he talks about these things here. He's really saying, hey, you know what? This place, it's not just a memorial, he says, but it's like a watchtower between us. So that you stay on that side and I stay on this side and we don't cross over. Because later on in verse 50, he'll talk about how you're not going to cross over to hurt me or, or do anything too mean. You know, and I'll leave you alone too. He says, and if, if God will hurt us if either one of us violates it. You know, God's going to get you is the idea. You know, one commentator put it like this. He said, in effect, the pillar of Mizpah meant if you come over on my side of this line, the pact is void and I will kill you. So then uh, the, the covenant breaker really would, would need God to take care of him because the other person is going to shoot to kill. And uh, this is what Laban is saying. Stay away. Sometimes we have to break like this with people, huh? Sometimes it just has to be over. That's it. See you later. You know, you, you take care of your thing. Because it really is the only way to leave things off. And we try to suffer with people for years and, and be patient. And, and sometimes it's futile. And so then we do have to be wise about this. We, we have to understand the situation. And Laban uh, even tells him that, that God would, would watch out. You know, he, he's still a, a, a hurling accusations of Jacob. He says, and you treat my daughters well, you know, or God's going to get you. And you stay away from me or God's going to get you. You, Jacob had never, ever acted in any way that was improper toward his wives. 
you know, Laban's wagging the finger. And this thing too, you know, it's like when people get angry at each other, they find other things to throw in there, whether they're true or not. And Laban says, so then these are the witnesses and, and this is the monument, this is the sign, this is the dividing line, you know, uh, you stay there and I'll stay here and, uh, and have a nice life. He says, God be, be the judge between us there. God execute judgment, you know, if this was violated. You know, Laban still didn't get it, did he? He's inviting God to be a part of these things and he doesn't know what's going on. He, he's no different than, than, you know, the sorcerer in the New Testament in Acts that wanted to just start throwing around them with Jesus and start doing things and the guy got whooped himself, right? And he had to run out of there. He's like, oh, I can't handle this. He's, he's the same way. He's no different. It's all about himself. But Jacob agreed. And it tells us that Jacob went and he swore. He swore on the fear of his father, he says. Which is really to say that he swears by the Lord. And so he sacrificed there to acknowledge God's role in this covenant. He says, all right, Lord, this, we're going to do this proper. And they sacrificed and they shared the meal. And this included the entire family. And the next morning, Laban got up and he left. And he returned home. You know, this is the last that we see of Laban in the Bible. Never, he never shows up again. And it's probably a good thing this is the end of, of us hearing about him. Because this guy, Laban was a man who was married to this world. And uh, Jacob needed to get away from him if he was going to live for the Lord. It was it was self-preservation. It was preservation of his family. It was the obedience to the Lord. And so then, do we cut those things off as believers in order to make sure that we walk properly? That we're saying, okay, this this is just something I don't need. It's not really helping me. We've got to trim the fat, you know. Do we separate ourselves? Are we holy as the Lord has called us to be holy? Or do we stick around the things that are going to drag us back in? Because... We're about to see a different Jacob here in the book of Genesis. We're going to see a guy who's, who's learned through the difficulties of being self-willed that uh, hopefully we learn by his difficulty and not by our own difficulty as believers. And that if we do encounter those difficulties, that we learn them well. You know, That we're well-learned. That we're well-versed. That we're full of the Holy Spirit as we walk in daily. And we allow the Lord to use us. Because that, that's what we're going to see happens in his life. Very next chapter, he becomes Israel, you know, a different guy. Uh, although that would be each and every one of us, right? Let's pray. Lord, we do thank you for your love. We, we thank you, Lord, that, um, that you want to change us, Lord. And we want to be able to submit to that daily, that we would, in fact, crucify that old man, Lord, that we would be filled with your spirit and you and strength in each and every day. We pray that... As we go forth tonight, that you'd um, give us traveling mercies, Lord. Lord, that as we're spending time with family and friends over the course of this week and the coming weeks, Lord, that we'd be, we, we'd be witnesses to them. you give us wisdom and how to speak to them and deal with them and love them. And do whatever it is that you have us to do and to speak. We pray for that direction. We thank you for your kindness. We thank you for the fellowship we have here as believers. and pray that you continue to have your hand on things here. In Jesus' name, amen.